Welcome to the Blue Ribbon Project. Um, I'm your host, Donald James. I've been doing this for a couple of months now, and it's really exciting. And today we have an opportunity to speak to a graduate of our program from our teacher ed program, Jasmine Ramirez. Hello. Uh, hi, Jasmine um, is currently teaching. She went through our program. Uh, she just told me before we came on the air that she actually did it uh, while she was expecting. I hope I'm not sharing, oversharing. No, Jasmine. please, Lauren. Uh, while she was expecting and got through the program, she was teaching and brought her newborn uh, to the graduation ceremony. So the, congratulations, Jasmine. Thank you, thank um, you. Jasmine's going to talk to us a little bit today about uh, her work, how the program supported her work, and uh, the current state of teacher education and what she sees and what she's thinking about as uh, teacher education continues to progress sort of during the pandemic, post-pandemic, give or take. Um, so Jasmine, could you just take a few minutes to talk to us about you know, your professional background and experiences and uh, how you think SITE helped prepare you for your current work? Right now, I work with early intervention uh, children. That's, they're about age two um, until three. I can have them up until around age five. So I'm still using my license and my certificate that I got with SITE because it took me from birth to eight, grade two. And what I love about the SITE uh, experience was that it taught me how I could use that license without having to be in a traditional school setting. So I did start with teaching in the public school system and I loved it, but much like I believe quite a few teachers now, the pandemic took a very big emotional toll on me. And while I wanted to not work with the Department of Ed, I didn't want to stop working with children. And so what I was able to do was I was still able to use all of the things that SITE taught me, and I was able to apply it to working with smaller children. And so now I work with toddlers and help them get ready for their schooling experience by giving them the tools that they need to hit their milestones so that they can go into school and be their best wow. little selves. So you had the early childhood, you were in the early childhood program? Yes, I um, actually applied for the uh, childhood, adolescent, I believe it was, which was um, grades um, one, to six. Yeah, one to six. And I did not want the, the license that I got at all. I was almost going to not do the program at all because mm -hmm. they said it wasn't available. They had gotten more applicants for early childhood. And I could not be happier with my decision to go forward with early childhood because it's just been so much more rewarding than I could have mm -hmm. imagined it would be. You really get to see a lot of those developmental years and you get to watch how they change, how they grow, and you see how much of an impact you can have on them working with them when they're that young and how hands-on you can be. So I think what started is me being apprehensive about working with anyone under grade two turned into me working with two-year-olds, which is the opposite of what I think I would have ever anticipated when I applied to site. Wow. So you were working for the DOE, mm -hmm. uh, the New York City Department of Education, and then um, you stopped. Yeah. And it was predominantly pandemic driven. Um, yeah, it was just it was a lot. It was emotional. It was a lot of stress in the Department of Ed. Um, a lot of 
just very, what's the right way to put it? It was a daunting task with very little support. Mm. And they expected the world and we gave our all, but I just didn't feel like the emotional drain that was taking place was worth it. And I just felt like I, it was chipping away at me emotionally. It was chipping away at me professionally. And I knew that in order to be my best self, I had to be in an environment and in a job where I would be most helpful. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel to be the most helpful is for me to be my best self. Sure. And I wasn't my best self because it was just okay. very stressful to work at the Department of Ed. And so I said, you know, what else can I do? And I started mm-hmm. working it about a year ago. I started intervention and I loved it. I mean, I, wow. I would, I love it. And I love that I'm still using <laughs> the license that mm-hmm. I was able to get with sight again, with a, with a license that I had never anticipated right, even right. attempting to go for. So it has worked out in many, many ways. Cause had I not gone for it, I would not be able to do what I'm doing today. So I have two follow-up questions. So sure. who do, can you say who you work for now? I work for Jumpstart Therapy Place, um, okay. which is in all four boroughs except for the Bronx, I believe. Um, my supervisors are incredible. They are extremely supportive. They are very helpful. They're very hands-on, but not, they don't hover. And by that, I mean, if at any point I've had questions or I need support with anything, they are completely responsive. They're right there to support. They give me time. And that's everyone from the the top of who hired me and anyone I've worked with in between has had that same temperament. And it's just allowed for a very stress-free lifestyle for me. I I don't feel rushed to do my work within a certain deadline. And I think because they don't have me feel pressured, I'm able to get things done more effectively and more smoothly without feeling pressed for time because I'm always asking questions to make sure things are done effectively. And I'm not at a job anymore where I feel like asking questions makes me seem inadequate. And to feel like they support your growth is something that I just didn't have it in the Department Mm -hmm. of Ed. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm glad to hear yeah, that it's going it, well. It could have just yeah. been my experience. You know, <laughs> I don't speak for all of the Department of Ed. This was just my experience in the Department of Ed. But I see with the decline of yeah. leaving the uh, teaching field that it must be. So so there is a severe teacher shortage right now. Yes. We, we know this. And um, and it's there. it's coming from a couple of places meaning uh, there are fewer people uh, going into the field than used to go into the field. So it used to be um, the, the enrollment in teacher ed programs in the state mm-hmm. used to be substantially higher than it is now. But then there's also this component where people are leaving the field. So, so your experience, although um, certainly is personal and, and professionally yours, my feeling, and I've been talking to a lot of people, and I was uh, just at the New York City elementary principals uh, meeting on Saturday and heard from principals, teachers are leaving left and right for very similar reasons to what you shared. Mm-hmm. That it's the, um, they don't, 
they're not necessarily getting the support that they think is appropriate. The students, um, the needs are dramatic and they need additional support. And they do do it for a while, the teachers, but eventually they just can't. They, they feel like they can't. Burnt so, out. Yeah, and and um, they don't feel like they could do this the children service. So I understand that completely. It, it is a crisis in the system right now. It's not just in New York City, it's everywhere. It's a national shortage. Um, do you think there are things that, that schools or uh, districts could do differently to stop people from leaving or to attract new people coming in? Pay them more. Mm. You have to you have to pay them more. You have to give them support. You know, doctors have to learn from teachers. Lawyers have to learn from teachers. You know, the the highest paid professions got where they are because of teachers and yet when it comes to teaching they don't they don't put a price on how much they value them or maybe they do and mm -hmm. that's reflected in how little they really do pay in a lot of other places because i know new york is one of the higher paid teaching locations and I remember one person asking me at my job if I were really sure I wanted to not be with the Department of Ed. They said, oh, the pay is so good. You know, you're off in the summers. And because with intervention, it's year round. There's no break unless I choose, like I need a vacation at some point. Mm -hmm. And she said, but the pay is so good. And I remember telling her it's not worth it. Mm. You know, the pay could mean a lot if the support was there to make you feel wanted, to make you feel needed, but I felt replaceable. And what was happening was I was getting paid decent money to be overworked, to work before I got to work, to work at work, feel pressured at work, leave home to work some more at home and to go through all of that and not feel like if my health began to decline, which it did, that there was any concern for me. Mm. And I, you know, told myself one day, this is not worth it. You know, yeah. if yeah. something happens to me and I get sick, they'll have my job posted before dismissal. Mm. And that's not an organization I wanted to be a part of. The Department of Ed is a very big monster. And it just felt all of the compassion was coming from the teachers and the service providers to the students, but I just didn't feel there was enough compassion being given to us. Mm. And mm. you can give too much. And I think that that's what's happening with teachers is they're giving so much of themselves that there's not much of themselves left when they get home. Mm. And it's not a healthy place to be in. You know, everybody's worried about the social emotional health of children but people forget about the social emotional health of teachers and that's a big deal yeah you know it's i i before i joined site i was a superintendent for close to 20 years mm -hmm. before that i was a principal and a teacher and i worked in new york city philadelphia you know the suburbs um and I, as superintendent i used to say all the time because people often say uh, teachers make too much money and they have summers off and i would say publicly teachers do not make too much money in my estimation, um, uh, there is, you just, the, the work that's done, the value, and you mentioned the value, right? Everybody, mm -hmm. everybody has teachers. 
um, in addition to that, it's not really what people think, right? In the classroom, the work goes well beyond teaching the ABCs. And, you know, I don't mean to minimize it at all because it's substantial teaching the ABCs. Then there's the other component, which is taking care of students and their health and their well-being and their social emotional work and mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature. And I, I'm, I really don't think they make enough money. Even the best paid teachers, I don't think make enough money. And I've said this publicly and I'm often criticized for it. They, they, they only work 180 days. They have the summers off. I said, that simply isn't true. So although they're not in school, there's more to teaching than being in school. Right. Those paychecks, I think a lot of people don't realize are it's 10 months of paychecks spread out into 12 months that allow them to get paid mm -hmm. throughout the summer, but they're not getting paid to be off. And right. I think that that's the misconception that a lot of people have with teaching is sure. well, you get paid to do nothing in the summer. No, my salary is my salary and I take less money for 10 months so that mm -hmm. I can get paid for the two oh. months in the summer. And yeah, you could take your paycheck for just the 10 months and not get paid in the summer at all. Mm -hmm. And, some and then do that. what happens, right. you know? Right. So, right. Right. you know, I think people have a lot of misconceptions about teachers and how much they make. And, you know, the newest teachers are coming in right now during the pandemic, which is so difficult. I'm sure it's gotta be a hard year for everybody to be back this year. And they're expected to do the same as the most veteran teacher for a fraction of the money. Mm. And in order for you to get more teachers into the field, because those new teachers are gonna get a fraction of the money, you have to boost the starting salary. Like I know at one point we were considering moving to Florida and top pay in Florida was like maybe close to starting salary for New York. Wow. So it, it there was no way it would have paid off to move. But mm -hmm. then you're here in New York and you're working and you're getting paid good money. But then again, like, at, at what expense is right, right. is that paycheck coming through the front door you know because i didn't i didn't have time in the afternoons when i came home with my kids and it's just you know it's not conducive to having a, a happy home and a healthy home and you want to make sure that your teachers are their best selves when they go into the building and self-care should be right on the top for teachers and service providers working in those buildings right now. And if it's not, you know, then the Department yeah. of Education has a priority to try to make it so. Don't give us workshops, give us support. So th that's interesting you bring those things up, right? Because um, uh, in, in the buildings that where you're working in schools, and, and, and frankly, I think many districts, whether it's the Department of Ed or outside of New York City, um, I think they're underestimating the stress that teachers feel. Mm -hmm. And um, and even if they pay more than the city, uh, the cost benefit and this is what people do. It's what's the benefit? What's the cost benefit? If, the, if my personal cost is too high for the benefit, well, then then I'm just not going to do this. And th that seems to be permeating, you know, um, the public so that people are resistant to going into the field. Can you talk to us about the, the good parts? about teaching the parts that you loved so that anybody listening to this might say hey listen yeah it's got its challenges and, mm -hmm. and i do think some of the challenges will get better once the pandemic mm -hmm. subsides i think some of those not not all of them but some of them will subside um, but were there things that and, and you could talk about your current work or you can talk about the work that you did when you were in the doa sort of the best parts the parts that you love about teaching. the kids that's mm -hmm. an easy answer i 
when I said I didn't want to work with the DOE, it did not diminish my love for working with children. And what SITE taught me was that with this license, there are so many different directions you can go in. And there's nothing about this license that, and nothing about this pandemic and the stress of everything that makes me say, uh, working with kids is not for me. Not once have I ever felt like that. The hardest thing about not being in the building is missing the kids that I worked with. I had the same kids from kindergarten. So I had them for kindergarten, I had the first grade and I had them when we were fully remote for second grade. And I loved them. I mean, like I loved them with my whole heart and that was very difficult. And when I made the decision to branch into something different, the one thing that was a non-negotiable for me was that I wanted to continue to work with children to watch the growth. I remember the, the pride that you feel for these, these little bodies when you see how happy they are when they make accomplishments, even the smallest accomplishments, they have the biggest response to them. And you can't bottle that up but you remember it. You remember their face and their excitement when they read their first page, when they, mm. when they um, write their first letter, when they write their name for the first time. And in my case, when we first, what the way I work with kids is we have to get them to meet milestones that maybe they're not meeting at that moment. Maybe they don't know how to clap. Maybe they can't identify certain colors or they can't speak and say certain family members' names. And so it's like constant repetition to get them to get it done. But when you see them and you cheer for them because they got it right, the look on their face because they realize that they did something right, that's going to get emulated with them throughout their entire educational experience. That pride and that self-esteem and that excitement that they have when they've done something that they know they did right, something that they know they worked hard on. I don't think I could ever step away from a field that was going to deprive me of that experience with children. And so I will always work with children. Um, if this is not my final endeavor, my next one will still be with children. Well, that's interesting. So if, if I understand your current work, I'm, I'm going to guess you're, the company that you work for has a contract with the city mm -hmm. to provide early intervention services for students before they enter kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So so de facto, it's an arm of the DOE, but it's an arm that by your account is working much more effectively than um, sort of a regular classroom setting. Now, I understand it's a private yes. company with a contract, but that company um, is doing really good things to support you. Mm -hmm. The other part is, and 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 this sort of brings us back to when you were in the program. Um, one of the things that we hear from students are the positive aspects of this of the site program, which where we partner with a college in Mount St. Vincent. Um, some of it has to do with they don't have to go to school, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays after work when they have children and they have other things to do. The site supports them throughout the process. Could you talk about? Uh, the positive aspects of being in this, what I call a disruptor type of uh, higher ed program for, for people and, and how that supported you as a, uh, a, a you know, a, somebody that, that's raising children and engaged mm -hmm. in work and things that go along in your life and how that worked well for you? Yeah. Um, when I started site, I was a substitute <laughs> teacher and 
I don't think I could have imagined working all day and then going and sitting through classes from four to seven o'clock at night, going home and going to work the next day and then repeat that cycle every day. And initially the idea of being in school every Saturday from, you know, eight or so in the morning until four in the afternoon was like, a, I can't believe I'm giving up my Saturdays for the next 18 months. But very soon into the process, I realized it was a nice and welcomed break from work because it doesn't feel like work. And the way that site has it developed is it doesn't feel like school often either. The cohort model works so well that after a while, you're not in a room with a bunch of strangers. You're in a room with a small family of people and you see the same faces every weekend. You get to know each other. You know each other's personal lives. You're in these classes and you're relating your experiences at home to the, the schoolwork. And so you're learning even more about each other. You learn about what people do at work. And the next thing you know, everything that's happening in the classes is so conversational that you're taking in information and you don't realize you're taking in the information. And I give a lot of credit to the professors as well as site because mm, sure, sure, sure. they allowed the program to feel natural. It didn't feel structured and rigid. Like there wasn't wiggle room for anything to be personal. And because they were so so open to having us share personal experiences, a lot of what they were trying to teach us was able to, we were able to tie in our personal lives. And so it was, wow, okay, that makes sense. Now I know what uh, Dr. McNamara meant when he said this or what he meant when he said that. Because now he's, you're taking what he's teaching you and we're taking what we all know, what we all know about each other. And it's all getting merged together into just one cohesive ball of knowledge. And so now not only are you in school every Saturday and you don't feel like it, but you're also doing well because it's just such a natural experience. And that's great. I've, me and the girls that were in my cohort, we have a group chat and we still talk all the time. I love them dearly. We are very close. And we have all said on more than one occasion, we would go and redo the site experience all over again together if we could. I hate school. For me to say that is a big no. deal. There is it's, nothing appealing about school for this me. This woman who teaches. <laughs> I and I'm telling you, program. you, I love teaching, you, but the idea of being like, yeah. I always thought like once I was done with like high school, uh -huh. I'm done. Then I went to college. Then I was like, I'm done. And <laughs> done. then I went for this master's program and I was like, I'm done. Uh -huh. no. And here I am considering going for the doctorate program with sight. Um, so I'm even still not at the point where I've mm -hmm. said I'm done and have stuck to it. I am literally in the process of getting my application ready to do the uh, doctorate application through site, just because I know how that model worked. And my mom went through the site program. She did the uh, doctorate wow. program with site. So wow. I did not know that. Yeah, my mom, yeah. my mom had done the classes through St. Rose. Um, and then she went through site. And then she became part of the doctorate program with 
Sage. Sage, yes. Sage. Mm -hmm. And she was a principal at the time. So she did that. We went to her graduation. And I remember working with her while she was doing her dissertation and how much work it was. And in my head, I said, not me, not ever. And here I am <laughs> filling out this so, application, doing it, knowing yeah. how much work it took, but also knowing how rewarding it was for her in the end when she mm. finished. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, and I, and I, I was an adjunct for site for years before, mm -hmm. I, before I took on this role. And, you know, we would have these conversations in class. And I, I taught the St. Rose Admin Program. Um, and, and people would talk and say things about the Department of Ed similar to you, um, even though it was pre-pandemic. So there was concerns about the department. And I've worked in the Department of Ed as a teacher and as a superintendent. So, so I know firsthand uh, what it's like to work in the Department of Ed in this sort of this, this push and pull because you really want to be there to work and support the kids, yet you really feel like the system is chewing you up. Mm -hmm. right? And part of the reason that the system is chewing you up, there are a lot of really, really good leaders in the system. But there are also some ones that aren't that strong. And they um, would say to me, how do, we, how do we change this? And I would say to them, you change this by doing exactly what you're doing. You're in these classes to be certified so that you can go into the system and actually change it from within. So you become an administrator and you lead and you make sure you don't do the types of things that you found so problematic when you were a teacher, right? Yeah. You go in and you engage teachers, you support teachers, you work with teachers. You, you're in essence, for me, a leader in, in a school it follows the servant model. And I would say this as superintendent and people would say to me, what, what is the job of the superintendent? What do you actually do? I support staff. My job is to support them. What do they need? Where are their strengths? What is it that they want and, and would support them in doing their job in a way that they feel is more effective? And that's the kind of work. You know what, Jasmine, that might be your calling. That, oh. that might be your calling. <laughs> I so. always used to think if, if principals could teach a full day um, of school once a month, all school year, Mm -hmm. observations for teachers would look very different. I think that sometimes what happens is they forget um, how hard it is. And, you know, I think that the whole observation thing is a little difficult because it's a very small snapshot of what teachers do during the day. Mm -hmm. And I think that if, if principals were able to just remind themselves more frequently of what it is that they go through on a regular basis, especially now with the pandemic, because sometimes I have to remind my mom, you know, she says, when I was a teacher, I said, whatever you knew before, that's not what mm. it is anymore. This is, this is a new ball game. And this is technology is so much more important now than ever. You really saw the inadequacies when we had to go remote, when we were shut down in March of 2020. Mm. And you realized the, the the gap in the haves and the have nots with the students and the students that had access to wi-fi the ones that did not you gave everybody tablets but then you realize some students didn't have access to wi-fi right. so they have these tablets that they couldn't utilize and right. sitting outside you know, of 7-eleven trying to get wi-fi yeah. yeah and you know yeah. i you know on a completely separate note 
I think that representation is very important. I loved being in the site program because there were so many women of color. I My cohort happens to be all women. So that's why I stay women, but I know that there are site cohorts that have men also. Sure. But I was a cohort of all women and I thought it was beautiful to see women of mm-hmm. color going into the field of education because my first African-American teacher was Dr. Burton and that was during the site program. I had never had one before when he walked in I texted my mom I felt like he was a unicorn I said oh my god mom he's black and I I could have hit the floor because I had never seen anyone that looked like me and I went into teaching because I felt like it was important for black and brown children to see someone that looks like them and I think that it's why I can't leave the field because I feel that it's so important that they have a voice that they have someone that can speak to them on a cultural level and can connect to them in ways that I'm not saying that teachers who are not of color can't connect to them on a variety of levels, but there's a cultural disconnect that I think takes place. And I think it's important for there to be more teachers that look like the population of the student body within the Department Mm -hmm. of Education. And I'll never stop working with children. Mm-hmm. Behind the fields, I have, you know, my mom has said the same thing. Maybe you need mm-hmm. to be behind behind the curtain and make mm-hmm. a difference. But yeah. as long as I'm working with kids, I, I really don't think I could even do the admin part because then I'm not working with kids the way I want to. I want to be mm-hmm. hands-on with them, you know? I want to be in the thick of it. So, well, with them. I'm not going to try to convince you here to, to join the admin <laughs> program, although you, because if you did, you could teach. I'm going them. for it, though. I'm still filling yeah. out the application. So it, it, for SAGE, right? That's the one you're looking at? No, I'm not doing the one for SAGE. I'm doing the one for, I think it's Concordia, Wisconsin. Concordia, Wisconsin. Okay. Yes. Yep. The, oh, right. Because you're not a CSA. The member. other one was for administrative That's people for administrators only. already. That's the right, one my right. mom did because she was a principal. You're so I'm doing the other. You'll, you'll, love, it. you'll love it. So it's one of the things that site prides itself in is offering opportunities for everybody to be in the program because we agree. Um, and I've been doing this a long time. You know, I taught in North Philadelphia uh, predominantly. I was, you know, it was interesting. You know, I sort of did the reverse often. So, so mm-hmm. I would be in uh, schools where, you know, there were very few white folks. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I was in Philadelphia and in Chinatown, um, and I, the work was just amazing. Could I connect with the kids on the same way as somebody that was uh, from their same cultural background? No, but I could bring a different perspective. Um, but I do think that we need absolutely more representation and site prides itself on making sure that we, we have, I mean, you've been in the program, you know, the, the majority of our students in all of our programs are people of color mm-hmm. and, and offering women uh, of color these opportunities. It's just amazing. I'm working with um, some principals now in District 17 in Brooklyn. I mean, these are just outstanding individuals that that um, and we're they're working with us to sort of say, hey, you can do this. So you can do this CUW program, no doubt about it. I think that'll be uh, just a great opportunity for you um, and for us. I'm keeping my fingers crossed and shout out to shout out to people like Charles who. <laughs> who I stood and really had to plead my case (laughs) for that master's program. Mm -hmm. And Charles was supportive from the day I met him until like two weeks ago when I spoke to him. Um, Again, I still keep in touch with Charles to this day. He is 
near and dear to my heart. I, I will say that he is probably single-handedly one of the people in my life that completely changed the direction of who I am professionally. And that's good to hear. He'll be, he'll be happy to phenomenal. hear that. So Charles? Charles knows. I, I give him yeah. credit where credit is and due. He is he is special to me. And I will never lose contact with him because he's just, he's hit between him and Sight. It changed my life. Sight is a program I don't think I could have ever anticipated as an adult, especially with school. It's just not like a traditional schooling experience. And my, uh, my husband was actually in teaching fellows at the same time I was in Sight. He started before me finished after me and had far more stress throughout his process than I did. And when it got time to working on the, the EdCPA, I had Dr. McNamara, who's like an EdCPA God. And he said his school pretty much just kind of threw him to the wolves. Yeah. And I said, no, I said, my, my professor is incredible from class one until graduation because it was our last class with the with the program he was helpful he was insightful he was encouraging he was compassionate when we struggled i've cried in this program i've been stressed (laughs) we had plenty of people that cried that we rallied around and we hugged them and we told them you're not going to quit you're not going to drop out you're going to get through it we're going to help you get through it and that's what's beautiful about the site cohort model is because it's so small and it's so intimate there's a there's a what's the right way to to put it you almost have a a personal desire to see everyone get through you might start at maybe maybe my cohort started at maybe 35 or 40 people in the room on day one and by the time we finished we were around maybe 20 so we did lose half but at a certain point you're really toughing everybody out to make it through and not to give up Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. to make it work and you support each other and I don't think hubby had that with teaching fellows mm-hmm. I did apply to teaching fellows they didn't take me but they're sorry about that now though right <laughs> I'm sure they are <laughs> um but site you know it was a, a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. to see how he worked in teaching fellows and to see how I worked with my program there's really no comparison I mm-hmm. would never do this any other way. If I had to start over and go back to October of 2017, mm-hmm. and if they said, we'll give you teaching fellows right now between teaching fellows and sight, without a doubt, without hesitation, there's nothing they could offer me that would make me go in any other direction other than sight. That's great to hear. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I was superintendent right up until I took this job. And I had a contract. I, I was going to be a superintendent, you know, basically until I was done working. And, um, you know, there's certainly a calling to or doing things with people that are going to go into the field that uh, will support all schools. And so I, re- I wasn't looking for a job, but I've been teaching with Sight. And when this job opened and, and it came my way, I said, you know what? You know, this is an opportunity to help grow this and engage people and and support teachers and mm-hmm. you know, do all kinds of things that I just thought this this is I mean I could have you know could work anywhere and and I want to be here I love this company the company does amazing things and just listening to you speak and I I didn't believe you I didn't build the company I mean obviously I didn't build the company the company's been around for years 
they developed this model and it just works beautifully. Whether you're talking about the CUW uh, doctoral program or you're talking about the teacher ed program or you know we have a litany of other programs. Um, I actually designed. started with the individual courses just to okay. get my course. Um, when you're when you're subbing, you have to get a certain amount of credits in every X amount of years. That's right. And I had to take certain courses. And so I, on a humble, went online and found the courses that they offered, site offered through College of St. Rose, which were also yep. on Saturdays. One I took out in Long Island. And then the other one was at 60, right across the street from 65 Court Street. Sure. And it was at my second course at 65 Court Street where I met Brian, who told me, hey, you know, we have a cohort starting in a couple of months okay. for this program. Right. Do you think you might want to apply? He said, I can sign you up for the open house. And it kind of just started off a chain of events that right, I right, right. went into nonchalantly that Right. just kind of changed my whole trajectory and I said sure sign me up and I went to the open house I met Charles right. and the rest is that's great history Brian and Charles so he said I'm going to introduce you to Charles that's the best sentence I've ever heard in my life <laughs> I'm going to introduce you to Charles so I'll tell Brian he said that yeah, yes that Brian was great too yeah. because he was very yeah. hands-on and it just shows you the whole site program is helpful from the top and like I said, in every direction, much like the company I'm with now, mm. I find that there's such a an alignment with how site is structured and how my company that I work with is structured because it's it's almost like everybody that's working together to make that organism function and to make that organism work the way that it's working is how site is set up because Brian had the same compassion and enthusiasm that gave me the same support that Charles gave me. Charles gave me all of the things that my professors gave me. And it, it was just, all of those things work together to make you successful. And there's no way to go into the site program and not be successful. They, they tell you, we are going to help you. All you have to do is tough it out. And as long as you tough it out, we, we all made it through. Yeah and yeah you're yeah and great. that's really good to hear because that's that's what we want from the beginning right you started an anometric program mm -hmm. to the end where you take the the tpa and you pass and then you become a teacher now i cried I when i passed the tpa <laughs> i cried like a baby because it, <laughs> it's hard it's very and hard i can i will honestly tell you the tpa with sight and the ed tpa with any other program mm. are two different ed tpas i knew a lot of people working on the ed tpa still currently working on it that are stressed out struggling are afraid to pay for it afraid to do it fail it have to redo certain parts dr mcnamara I remember Charles telling us has never had someone that did not pass the ed TPA. As long as you listen to him and you, you paid attention to how he told you, you needed to make sure you worked, how he needed to make sure you, you wrote, we all passed mm -hmm. and we all passed because of the support we got from a professor that worked with site. And mm -hmm. that's not happening in every other program. It certainly isn't happening in any program for anybody that I know. Yeah. And you know, that speaks to what site is doing. It speaks to the people that 
they have working for them. If, and I don't get any money saying anything about site. And I've definitely pushed it to so many people. Yeah. I'm pushing my sister to go for it. And I pushed my other, my little sister to go for it. She's in a different program and stressed out all the time. I said, oh, you see, I'm sorry to hear they're that. going to site. You wouldn't be stressed out. Uh, Normal stress, but well, like, not intimidating stress, if that makes any yeah. sense. We, we, we like, it's like tension. So without some tension, there's no learning, right? So no reward. Tension. Right. You want tension, but you don't want stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. which means that you're asking people to do things that they're either not prepared to do or you're not giving them sufficient support for. So if, if you do that, well, then you create these issues for folks that either they're not going to be successful or they are, but at an extreme cost. Mm-hmm. There are ways for people to be very, very successful with the proper support because you need tension. We all need some level of tension. That's how you grow, right? But if you don't, if you just sort of dump it on them, then you're going to see people. So that's one that we say it's high quality, but with a lot of support. Yeah. So there's a high quality program with a lot of support. Our folks, you know, our admin program is is very successful. Just like now you're, you're in cohort one, right? From the. We were cohort nine. Oh, nine. Mm -hmm. We were cohort nine. We started in October of 17 we graduated in may of 19 okay oh yes all right i'm sorry that that's right i did know that uh, because you said you were expecting your mm-hmm. uh, one of your children when you were in the program right yes and the, got and pregnant had the baby had the baby at graduation all within the program <laughs> and well, still worked took that internship certificate that this the program gave us and mm. was able to work full-time now, with Dr. McNamara, was that a, a regular class or was that the prep class? That was our last course, but the it was the course. only course we had. We started it in January of 2019. It mm-hmm. was the only class that lasted more than five weeks. Gotcha. So it went from January when we mm-hmm. came back from winter, from uh, Christmas break, January of 2019 until we graduated. He was like the last class. And he was like, come bring your laptops every week. And we come, we have our ed TPA. If you did not listen to him and you did not come with your ed TPA and you did not put the work in, then of course you won't see the success that, that I'm speaking about now. Sure, sure, sure. It still means you have to put the work in Mm -hmm. and we put the work in, but he was so helpful when we had to write our final papers. I, I took on a very daunting, um, research paper. And he really sat with me and would send me articles outside of class time. He would say, hey, look at this one. I saw this article. It made me think about you. There's mm-hmm. just a personal connection that these teachers take on with these professors, professors, I should say, take on with their students. And it makes for a much more fulfilling and less stressful learning experience. Because yeah, sure, sure. when you feel like they're invested in your success, right the likelihood of you being successful is much higher than if you walk in with a teacher and you're just a name on paper. Um, And these have been the best professors I have ever experienced. Dr. McNamara, I'm always throwing Charles's name. Dr. Burton. Do you um, like Charles? Do you like Charles? I love Charles. <laughs> Charles is fantastic. I'm telling you, there I can only speak to this program because this man helped me with getting in it. And oh, that's great. I can't thank him enough for it because I don't know 
what I would be doing right now if it were not for Charles taking a chance on me and helping me get into this program because I was not a good undergrad student. At one point, my GPA, I'm not even gonna say it, it was really bad. And I was very nervous that I would not get into a master's program because I felt like the mark had to be 3.0. My mom always told me 3.0 and you're golden. I didn't have a 3.0. And I thought that it was kind of like a done deal for me with any master's program. And so I worried about what was gonna happen with my future because decisions in my past when I was young, I just wasn't thinking. And I wasn't thinking about 10 years from now when I was right, of course. And so here I am now applying to master's programs and I'm looking at this GPA saying, who's going to take me? Like, what am I going to do? I'm smart, but this does not reflect where I am now. And I took those two courses through site and I got A's in both of them. I made sure I made a name for myself. I had to really work for those A's because I knew I had a whole transcript working against me. And so when I met Charles, I kind of had to explain that my transcript showed two different people. It showed who I was and it showed who I am. And I really had to say, please just Mm. trust that these, these grades over here are a reflection of who I am now and just give me a shot. And had Mm. I not gotten into the program, I don't think that anybody Mm. else would have taken me. I don't think that I would have been where I am now because I would have still been working for someone to just overlook that poor GPA. And that's what was great about SITE was they don't say you have to have this. They say, this is a requirement, but it's not a stringent requirement. Yeah, we try to work it through. There's room for, you know. Especially if there's a story. Right. And mm-hmm. if you, everybody's got a story. And um, for many of us, and I, I, I listen, I, my undergrad, I didn't have a 3 0. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I would not technically qualify for the program. You know, I came a rough and tumble upbringing, you know, moved a lot. There was no money. I went to undergrad. It was emancipated and I worked full time. Mm-hmm. I got through and I came out with a degree. And I was a certified teacher. I was able to get certification in Pennsylvania at the time. But then when I went to get a master's degree, you know, I went to a couple of schools and they just said, no, you, you know, you, you don't have a 3L. There was a school uh, and, and they, I didn't know about site at the time. I'm not sure. Site probably did exist, but I didn't know about it. I went actually to LIU Brooklyn and uh, they put me in the program. And then I did like you just prove myself, you know, so then when I went to get a doctorate, I was able to get into the doctoral program. But but we all have a story. And if Mm -hmm. the story is a legitimate story and yours clearly, you know, listen, people mature, they change. In my opinion, like, I want to know your story more than I want to know your GPA. Your GPA is somewhat reflective of, you know, your work ethic, your intelligence, all of those kind of good things. Plenty of people that don't have a good GPA are very intelligent. Right. I mean, look how many people are successful in life. They didn't even go to college. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's uh, the accreditation uh, uh, agencies, you know, I think will start to come around and pay attention to that a little bit more to say, hey, listen, we can't just insist that they have a 3.0. That's just not appropriate. We have to listen to the story. And and because we will have success stories like yours and mine that where people didn't have the benefits 
that everybody has an undergrad, right? Some people have a different benefit in undergrad, right? Yeah. For, for different reasons. So at any rate. And even with sight, I did extremely well. When yeah. I went for a doctorate sure with another did. place, I did not get in. And I knew that it could not be in, in anymore because of undergrad. I did wonder if undergrad would follow me. But I hoped that what I had done on my master's level would be enough to get into a doctorate program. I didn't. I didn't get upset. I just told myself I should have gone to site. At the time, site was not, um, they, I had like just missed their application process. And I know that the application is due in April. I really should get on it and get them everything that they're asking me to give them. Um, because I just feel like it's, it's the right, it's the right place for me. I'm already used to the cohort model. I'm already used to the Saturday classes and um, if you really want to be in the program, you do need to do the application because no. they, there's a limited number of slots. I know. So, I know. I need to do yeah, it. That's I do actually, need to do it. Yeah, the hardest no. part of site was the one week on campus. That was the only thing. Mm -hmm. And I think you still have that with the doctorate program from yes. what I was looking into. It's still just the one week on campus, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's one week on campus somewhere else. It's not in Wisconsin. I know that because oh, no, 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 no. That's it's in what made me it's, hesitant. It's, was uh, it's a little. It's been a little different because of COVID. COVID, mm -hmm. but typically it would be wherever. Like usually there would be three locations. You know, uh, you know Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. Mm -hmm. You know, or if we open up a Long Island cohort, we'll have uh, a Long Island location. But no matter what, it's going to be in the metropolitan area. Right. So, so we have plenty of people who attend that week, and there's two of them. One in the beginning, one each year, and they they commute. They don't they don't even stay in a hotel. They commute. They they go to class for the week, and then they go home. They, they yeah. love it. And they it's a very people really like that model. They they don't just because they don't have to stay. Some do stay. Some rent a room and stay, and they love doing that. And some go home, you know, because they just can't stay for a week, you know. You know, if you have four kids, it's not that easy to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm gone for a week. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, uh, and it's that's desired we, though. You might want to. Desired. <laughs> right. I think I stayed closer to campus. And I think for the most part, we all kind of commuted. Mm -hmm. um, some of us lived in the Bronx. And so they were already relatively close to mm -hmm. campus. But I would say the only reason that was so hard is because it was all day back to back to back to back to back. Sure, so sure, we sure. went from Monday through Friday, and then we went right back to our Saturday schedule the next day mm, after Friday. Sure. That's right. Yeah. And then kept up with our every week classes, but you blink and it's over. Like yeah. the whole program went so fast mm. that even if I look back on that being the most difficult part of it, it's not enough for me to say, oh my goodness, I won't do this program oh, yeah. again. You know, well, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful campus. I used to live in the Bronx and, and I used to go over there to just walk. Yeah. It's beautiful. Before, yeah. When they would let you on now, you, I know it's not that easy to get on campuses, but you know, 20 years ago. Plus now just, it's a different one. When we went, it was Concordia. Now I know it's college of Mount St. Vincent, right? Right. Right. Yes. So I haven't seen that campus, but I know Concordia was beautiful, but I think yeah. that they're not too far. They're not too far apart. Right. So, well, you know, the Concordia one is gone now. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and people commuted to Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. We had to have classes in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. I live in Staten Island. I would get up in the morning. I would you know, drive in. You got 
if, if, you know, for anyone that applies to the program now, I had told them a couple of people, the early bird parking in, in Brooklyn, I never really felt it, you know, parking yeah. is terrible in Brooklyn otherwise, oh, yeah. but because we're there so early, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had it's early bird specials on parking. It would be $8 for like the whole day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the professors were really sensitive to people having parking spots. And we had the meters and some people mm-hmm. had the app. Some didn't. Back then, like, you had yeah, to yeah. pay on paper every other cycle. So people would be, you know, in and out of sure. classes. But yeah. they never made us feel like we were children if we had to step out pay a meter they gave us plenty of breaks they were really we had a lot of women that got pregnant in my cohort i mean our cohort gave each other baby showers i had a baby shower in my cohort we celebrated Mm -hmm. everything together and you know these women were all brilliant Mm -hmm. and they all had a story and everybody always had a struggle but no one ever struggled alone. And I think mm-hmm. that that was what was so beautiful about the yeah. cohort model. Yeah, I remember the cohort, one of my doctoral cohorts, somebody got pregnant, had a baby, somebody else lost a husband. And we were, I think it was that strength of the cohort and all everybody finished. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe two, two of them might've had children, but everybody finished if you started, because we were there to support you. And of course, the, the, at that time, they don't have this model at NYU anymore, but the professors, you know, were very supportive and understood, just like, like, like you're talking about. Um, so managing to get through with that camaraderie, I, I think for me, I, I love the cohort model. I think it's- I love it. I had never heard of it until site. Yeah. I didn't know what cohort it, model it's meant. Start, it's starting to catch on um, in some places, you know, higher ed is uh, slow to change. So- traditional campuses they they don't want to do this they they want to stick with the traditional model mm-hmm. and and it, that just doesn't work for a lot of people it just doesn't and it's longer yes it's longer it's more expensive mm-hmm. it's challenging to go during the week you have a job you have family so how do we allow for people like that well the, this model the saturday cohort model i mean and you know I, our, our admin program is the largest in the state because it's a cohort model, people can go on Saturdays. I mean, we have 25% of all principals in New York City went to site. I mean, it's shocking. We're going to get to that with teachers at some point, because I think this model is going to continue to grow. I think. It's yeah, hubby grow. was at Pace, and he was going to class. He was going to work every day, and then getting off of work, and he'd be in class until like 9 o'clock at night, and then had to get up the next day and do it five days a week, versus, you know, I work. And then just one day a week on Saturdays, I forfeited my Saturdays for you yep. know a year and a half. Yeah. And oh, you do it right. That works. I mean, that's what I did when I when I did the cohort. My wife, yeah, of and course. I was exhausted, but oh god, yeah, they got to go to work on Monday. <laughs> exactly, and so it everything yeah. just kind of worked. I had never yeah. known anything about a cohort model, but watching the way that he struggled and the way that he was supported, there's just, there was just no mm. comparison. I'm sitting mm. here like. Five classes, five weeks, done. Five weeks, done. Five weeks, done. And it's just, it was like, a. it seems like it's a lot. And you hear it's accelerated. It's it's five weeks. But it's like a really well-oiled machine. Like everything Mm -hmm. is laid out in your first class. And somehow you look at the syllabus and you feel like, I'm never going to get this done in five weeks. We must have said it every single class. Mm -hmm. And you always get it done mm-hmm. because 
at a certain point, every, almost every single class would say, you know, all right, I'm going to give you guys time to work on whatever projects you have your group projects with the cohort model. Eventually you're working with the same girls and guys, every single project. You just, there's, there's a chemistry with certain yeah. people that you're getting. And so you start to get to work with people that you know them, they know you, they know your strong points. My mm -hmm. cohort knew every time I had to give a presentation, I was having an anxiety attack because I had to oh. be speaking. I would be in the fetal position in the front with a Xanax like, oh my God, I can't do this. Panic attacks, bad. Yeah. And they were so supportive. After a while, our professors knew it. We had Dr. Yeah. Ken, which he was great. And she knew I was going to get anxiety attacks. And even still, they supported you through that and would say, okay, you know what? You want to take a minute? Okay, you go last or go in a little bit. Tell me when you're ready. Nothing ever felt forced. You were encouraged and you were supported, but you were never mm. forced. Did I have to do my presentation? Yes, but mm -hmm. I was able to do every presentation when I was ready and in, in my comfort zone. And after a while, you know, your cohort's your family and they are right there supporting you. And so, you know, even the hardest presentation was not the hardest presentation I've ever given. It's hard to believe listening to you today. That, that you struggle with public speaking because uh -huh. you are, and I wonder, so, so this is one of those wonderings about technology and how we uh, engage students, right? So the students that, that have to do this in classes at, at say, I mean, I have a daughter that's in seventh grade, she has to do speak publicly and, and it's really hard, right? It's really hard. But when you she does it on a machine like this, whether it's through a Zoom or they do a recording, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. I understand public speaking is a thing, right? So there's a comedian that does this joke. The number one fear of Americans, the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. I believe that. Number two is death. So people would rather die than speak publicly. <laughs> Sometimes they're oh, the same. Yeah, <laughs> for some people, 100%. Listen, I used to be a, a deathly afraid of speaking publicly, but over the years, it just sort of went away. You know, you know, I had to do it so often. And I remember when I first, you know, as a teacher, you could speak in front of the kids like it was nothing. This was easy. Speak in front of adults, it was torturous. Yeah. And then you know, I became a principal and it was challenging at first, but then I just sort of, I started to look at them like they were the kids, like somebody just taught me some technique. You know, I, we, I've heard that old technique about pretend they're all in underwear. And I thought, no, I'm doesn't just, work. That, that one doesn't work. But actually, one of the things I do is like, I'll be actually be presenting to a particular person. So like, if I know you in the audience, I pretend as if I'm talking to you. I keep moving my eyes around so nobody feels like I'm not talking to them. But I'm talking, I'm, I'm presenting to Jasmine because I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with Jasmine. And that, were all, that always worked for me. That works for me too. I try to make it more conversational, like an imaginary conversation of the facts, if that makes any sense, right? Sure, sure, so sure, you're presenting sure. something very specific, but you're presenting it in a way where it doesn't feel so, um, what's the, so formal, you know? Yeah, right, right, you didn't right. want it to feel so formal because then it left so right. many rooms, so much room for error and making a yeah. mistake. But then you realize like, I'm the expert in whatever I'm presenting at this right. moment. Nobody sitting around me right. is an expert in this oh, right yeah, now. What kind of mistake could you make that you couldn't say, hey, you know what? Uh, listen, let me restate that. So, mm -hmm. 
Jasmine, you've been amazing to talk to. Oh, thank I, you. I actually lost thank track you, of time. You. I think we've been on for close to an, an hour and a half yes, because no, it's just you. so easy to talk to you and, thank you. and you're a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. And um, it's been a pleasure. I, I encourage everybody to do the site program. I will, and, I will speak that to anybody. I've been telling everybody since I left this program. I have someone that's in the program right now because... I told hubby, please tell him to go apply to site. Yeah, and yeah. I said, I'll pull up the open house information for you right now. Go sign up. Yeah. And he's in the program and he loves it. That's great. And your sister. And of course, do your application. I'm going to do it. I swear. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to you. It reminded me that I got this text message that like the application uh, was due in like the second week of April. So I am going to do it. I have mm -hmm. to, uh, Go reach out to Dr. McNamara and tell my Jen, Jen is help. Brian's. <laughs> Jen is uh, Jen is uh, Brian's counterpart, and she's the one who handles our doctoral programs. Um, and I'll, I'll mention she she can remind you if you want. She's probably been getting some reminders from her about they. They're probably what come what comes in, maybe coming yeah. from Jennifer. I think it's Jen like is, Jennifer at site, right? Yep, that's it. Yeah, Jennifer. I'm getting it. She's terrific. I just haven't gotten on it. And she'll do the same thing as, as all the others did. Just help you get through the process, whatever you need. So no, I'm going to get on it. I, I would not tackle this doctorate if site <laughs> did not have it. It is only because they have it that I'm willing to go for it because I believe in their programs that much. And I've done it from, like you said, the non-metric. And yep. then I did the master's. And then if I do the doctorate, I would have done almost the whole gambit. So That's great. And you'll love it. So. But thank you for having me. No, I, I hope so. Please, if at any other point you ever you ever need me. I told Charles, I said, no, who was it? Who was with Charles at the open house? Chris. Chris? Right. Yeah, Chris. I told Chris, I said, if you ever want me to come pop in on an open house and and sell it to them, I said, I have I no I think problem. he does. He's the one who gave me your name. Chris, Chris can't say enough about you. He told me, he and... was like, can I please pass on your information? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I spoke to every person on the open house. I was only there to support my sister. So she wasn't uh -huh. nervous. And mm -hmm. Charles was like, is that my Jasmine Ramirez? I was like, absolutely. <laughs> it's me. And it's me. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I told my sister, I said, I said, apply. I said, the worst that can happen is, you know, you don't get in. I said, but the best thing that can happen is getting in. It's. It's almost like a, if you don't, it's okay. There's always something else. Nice. But if you do, it's the best thing that'll ever happen to you. Yep. Well, we'll make sure that we, I mean, and we're really pushing to make sure we look at every application, even if it's under a 3.0, just to know the story. So oh, no. When I did forward. my master's program, I was I was A's a whole way through. <laughs> no, I don't mean you. I mean way your through. I mean your sister. <laughs> I thought you were saying like, don't worry no. about getting denied for this one because that no, last no. Year, and they were like, yeah, if, no. If this happens, it's because of the slots. Okay. CW, where uh, of course you have to meet the requirements, but but there's only a certain number of slots, and then we would put you on the list for the following year. But um, and we are looking at expanding our doctoral offerings as well because Ooh, we have so what? many people. Well, to have multiple offerings, so instead okay. of just we have CUW and Sage right now, mm -hmm. um, you know, could we do more cohorts? with a CUW and yeah. could we get Sage to take a, a non administrators? That's what I was hoping. And it was weird. I had thought that initially when my mom applied, it was open to more than just administrators. Mm, I don't know. And then she told me, look into the program she had done, 
but it was only for administrators. And she said they changed it. Mm. She said, because she said not everyone in her cohort was an administrator. She said they must've changed it. And then I said, okay, it looks like they have another program though. And that was how I found out about the CW program. But I would, you know, wherever they were to find your spot, I'd go like, Yeah. Concordia, Wisconsin, that's fine. That oh. will piggyback off of Concordia up in Bronxville. That's right. So well, Jasmine, thank you I'm so gonna... much for having, having me. Yeah. Please keep my number, save my email. Um, if there is ever anything you want me to contribute back to site, they have given thank so you. much to me. I will I will always be indebted to giving back to this program. You're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure Absolutely. having you, Jasmine. To keep up to date on everything Sight, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sight Online. That's C-I-T-E-O-N-L-I-N-E. And you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. Till next time.